Tate Diggs doesn't do it for me in terms of like, you know, the pantheon of like, pantheon rather, of like black male hotness. Like, I kind of see the vision, but it's just, it's not my type. It's not my Yeah, style. he used to not, but I think it's now that he has that like kind of uncle like Instagram account. Do you know what I'm talking about? His Instagram account. The Instagram account where he's always goofing off and yeah. singing with um, his yes, latest girlfriend. You know, I think I think goofiness does it for you, though. Like, a little bit of goofiness, a level of talent, um, you know, intelligence, you know, and yeah. charm. And then yeah. you're, like, not as, like, uh, And that smile. Okay. We, we should start the podcast, but we'll talk about Tate Diggs' smile in a very special episode. Yeah, it's a good it's smile. It's a smile. <laughs> it's very, very special. <laughs> Whatever. Boris Kojo. Boris Kojo outsold. And that's mm, Okay. <laughs> All right. Well, I uh, welcome. Hi, hi guys. Welcome to Kyal. Yeah. Um, you know what, Nissan? I have that. I'm gonna say the premise, but I kind of want you to because I want to. I want to keep. <laughs> I want to keep you on your toes. Why? Keep you on your toes. Why do you keep me on my toes? For what reason? You just honestly, you just don't have the right blurb at the at your fingertips. <laughs> yeah. That's the only reason. Anyway, guys, this is Hell Yeah. I am Nissan. This is my buddy Nana. Nana, who's trying to pull a fast one. I'll just allow it today. Um, and we are Hell Yeah. We started this podcast um, right in the beginning of the pen. No, that's last year. I don't know. It feels like it's been a decade since we've had this podcast. We started this podcast, though, because the two of us discovered over the course of our decades long friendship that we both really like romance novels and romance content and talking about them. With a bit more of like a fun, critical eye, I think there's an idea that romance is sort of really frothy and it's not important. But who doesn't want love, man? So we like to talk about the ways that love and romance are depicted in pop culture. Uh, it's been a source of joy and you know pleasure for us over this pandemic period and long before that. And so now we talk about it on the podcast for you guys to listen. And I will be remiss if I don't mention that we are two badass lady lawyers uh, that are first-generation Americans from yes. West Africa with an African do attitude. And yeah. That's Thank you, yeah. my sister. Oh, I'm having like a very Freddie okay. Brooks moment. <laughs> my oh, sister. God. <laughs> uh, Freddie. Freddie was horrible. Horrible to poor Kim, man. Freddie and Ron did Kim dirty. Oh, they did yeah. Kim dirty on a I forgot that about horrible. that. I didn't get to those episodes I yet. I will never. But yeah. Because I'm watching. No, no, you know yeah. I hold a grudge. You know I hold a grudge. <laughs> I'm very good at holding grudges. Uh, <laughs> I also have Freddie Brooks anyway, hair, so, you know. <laughs> you do have Freddie Brooks hair today. Actually, we should post a clip from our recording session, guys, so you can see it. She does this have Freddie like Brooks this. hair today. And, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> And I have standard, I don't know, um, upperly mobile black female lawyer hair today. So, yeah. you know, we're just... We're playing. We're playing to stereotypes. We're playing yep. to form. So we're um, doing. Speaking of black female lawyers, one appears in the movie we're going to talk today. That's <laughs> right. She was representing yeah. for our kind. I'm doing a great job. Yeah. So today, aside from the you we, know. well, first I must say, very good job explaining the premise of the podcast, Misan. Thank yeah. you, Nana. Um, <laughs> give her all her flowers, Rom Squad. 
And the next thing um, I will, the next order of business is the movie that we're going to talk about today, which is Brown yes. Sugar. Isn't that how that D'Angelo said goes? Sugar. Mm. <laughs> I think it's close enough. It's close enough. <laughs> It'll do. Um, It'll and do. then there's also the most deaf song, Brown Sugar, which was featured in this. Um, but anyway, mm-hmm. uh, it's, it's basically a movie about two black people of medium to rich darkness hue falling in love because you don't see that a lot. There, there's a brown that's, skin. Well, that's true. Deep. Yeah, ooh, Tay Diggs is like, I think he's like 70% cacao, right? I feel like he could qualify for 70% cacao. <laughs> Got that rich, smooth chocolate sure. skin. Uh, but, <laughs> but it's about. <laughs> All right. Are you hungry? Yeah. <laughs> I just love chocolate men. Um, it's about two black people falling in love in New York. We will get to the plot. Hopefully you have watched it. But yes. this is our first, I believe, proper black rom-com canon movie, right? Mm, yeah. Like part of like one that's like a big part of the canon and not sort of like, yeah, I think that's yeah. true. That's true. And the canon right. is, yeah. I don't have the exact years, but basically like... I would say like 96, 97 to early 2000s, maybe 2003, 2004. I mean, there that was when mm-hmm. they were making black rom-coms. So you had The Wood. You had this movie, Brown Sugar. I don't count something new because that's a swirl relationship, but still a lot of yeah, black people count. in that movie. Yeah, but it's part it's, of the same sort of yeah. like idea about like – Black people Black being in love. Of course, love, love and, basketball, and basketball. Which we will, we will do. definitely My do. My personal favorite. Um, best man. Favorite. There, There's so many. Mm-hmm. But a lot of these iconic Black rom-coms were made during this time. And I think this is like one of the seminal ones. Like, I think if you would ask anybody about yeah. like a Black rom-com from that golden age, they would mention this one. Right? Yeah, that's probably true. I yes. Right. So yeah. I have been wanting to do this for a long time. And now this is the perfect excuse slash opportunity to like talk a little bit about black love on screen, because it is something that mm-hmm. Misan and I, especially as we are looking for content for the podcast, we've realized that, you know, we've been our minds have been colonized a little. And we don't always have <laughs> <laughs> colonial mentality as wow. Fela would tell us. <laughs> all right so we like don't always have as much black content as we would like um and no, we're working on that you know we're like those corporate america we're trying to check our biases, we're like corporate guys. america like our innate biases yeah we're listening we're and listening. learning basically but um but i love like i personally do love black love and on-screen love and so i thought this was an opportunity to just talk about that because there just is not as much content and that's for a reason and that's called american racism or maybe racism <laughs> comma american style i like that one more um okay (laughs) but basically like um i mean you can guess that there's just part a big part of this is because hollywood has just been biased since its beginning um is racist and there wasn't much of a depiction of black people outside of very stereotypical roles period let alone these love stories Mm -hmm. and so 
Ah, we're going to go back in time. Um, During the Hollywood golden age, there were things called race films, right? So like Hollywood itself was not making loads of black content, but there were especially like independent black filmmakers. Like Oscar Michaud is like one of the most famous ones, but they were making films about black people, depicting black people in sort of a human everyday light. Because of the time period, Mm -hmm. that often was equated with like capitalism and industriousness and we're respectable, you know. Mm. Um, And so there would be depictions of love in these type of movies. But again, a lot of them were about black people striving for middle class values and ascending in society. Uh, Occasionally, Hollywood would have a movie with black people like Stormy Weather, Carmen Jones is like a really famous one, right, with Dorothy Dandridge and Harry Belafonte. That's one of my favorites and then in the 50s especially was like the emergence of these black mega stars like Dorothy Dandridge Belafonte Sidney mm. Poitier Diane Carroll oh I love her too um Eartha Kitt <laughs> etc and so we started to see more stories mainstream stories with black people such as Paris Blues with Poitier and Diane Carroll but again these are like little right. chocolate sprinkles and a big ass vanilla t- a tub of vanilla ice cream right there just wasn't that much um 1970s slight breakthrough in terms of black entertainment generally because we see black exploitation or black exploitation rather films yeah yeah and what's interesting about those movies that those were like a lot of like that's where what's his face melvin van peoples Mm -hmm. made his mark right and so that was helpful because it was like a lot of really like homegrown content and people were like using like shoestring budgets to make these films and then they were very popular in the black community while you know white hollywood was not was trying probably trying to understand like what this phenomenon was as to why, and if you look and see these clips, I've seen some of these clips of these old black exploitation films on Twitter. They're horrible. Yeah. Like, they're terrible. They're not great. A lot of them are not, but I think just the idea of being able to see people that look like you on screen and be in a movie was really, really powerful. And like, you know, the people found a way to really tap into that. Melvin Van Peebles was a very key part of that sort of, um, that uh, sort of growth yeah. of the industry. And as Misan says something very important, which is Hollywood, which is like, white implicitly saw this yeah and in fact what started off as like independent black filmmakers again got co-opted and it was churning out mm-hmm. more of the same thing but like without the soul yeah. much more stereotyped and you know like a lot of black exploitation had fairly one dimensional um, especially mainstream had fairly one dimensional yeah. portrayals of black people and black love was like rarely depicted it was usually like black women and like really like skimpy of- clothing hyper sexualized yeah okay so this is a fun little history let me me scroll through okay so <laughs> this is a point that has really no place on the podcast but i need people to hear this because this is something that's in my head and i need to put it out in the world whereas hollywood you know didn't you know cinema the silver screen did not really depict black love one area where i yeah. think does or has historically done and it's kind of underrated is music like I think this is where we Mm. really shine this is where you hear and like especially R&B soul blues black people like showing the range of emotions uh, you know unrequited Mm -hmm. love and torch songs desire it wasn't just about sex it wasn't just about suffering and we had black men not in these like necessarily hyper masculine roles but we're like you know especially during the Motown era like snapping their hand fingers like lovely suits talking about like oh sugar pie honey bunch you know all that stuff i mean it's i mean black music has always 
been able to show sort of facets of black character like life that I think hasn't always mm-hmm. been able to make it into like mainstream audiovisual media. And yeah. And yeah. the reason why I I wanted to bring this up especially in this episode is because this is a movie that is so much about black music and like paradoxically mm-hmm. I've always found that hip hop actually killed this this phenomenon about black music <laughs> like i i think a lot of hip-hop especially you know even when hip-hop came out right rappers who rapped about love were considered soft they were making rap for the for the yeah. ladies right and i think hip-hop yeah, tended to skew yeah. towards this like very masculine like hyper masculinization right i think when hip-hop mm-hmm. got commercialized which this movie really does a lot of meditating on and by med- commercialize i mean when white record labels were like hey like this this makes money like gangbusters let's let's co-opt this like we yeah. co-opt everything i think they fo- <laughs> you're a white voice honestly <laughs> <laughs> what a white voice what a white voice <laughs> Anyway, continue. <laughs> Sorry. The ironic thing is my actual voice is kind of a white voice, but then I have a white voice. I, that's the thing. Like your voice, like your actual, like your white voice sounds very similar to your actual Stop voice. It. But what really sells it, what really sells it is the way you're like part of your mouth, like your cheek was moving to really sell the performance. Like you like just like this white man from Connecticut just like showed up in the on the podcast for a second and I honestly I think that's I'm listening yeah listen he commutes on on Metro One he comes to Midtown he's working at the record company he's like let me let me talk about this hip-hop music let's learn a little (laughs) yeah you know and then he starts getting into it like you know yeah no there's yeah Uh, I I I, I see it I I picture it in my mind's eye I've been transported there yeah so this movie actually I, I think it's like an interesting interesting section because the movie does talk about this commercialization of rap and I think whereas before you might have had like more diversity in some ways about what rappers rapped about like LL Cool J was always the one who made like the tunes for the ladies I want love you know things like that I think as and they used to try to think he was not cool, but LA Cool J, I think, could beat you up if yeah, he needed exactly. to. Yeah, so exactly. I mean, he, he, he did go, say mama said knock go. you out, so. That's right, to make that clear, <laughs> in case you were confused. <laughs> um, and so I believe that, like, obviously when hip-hop became incredibly mainstream and they were specifically trying to sell this more, like, quote-unquote thug, like, street guy image, a lot of the love stuff kind of dis you know disappeared yeah. and then yeah. hip-hop kind of just became more about lust and sex lust and, and sex that, bitches like, and, and hoes prove, like, like not to yeah, flatten to it yeah because exactly. i actually love hip-hop and we'll talk about it there's like a more nuanced way to see hip-hop but a lot of the stuff we we're hearing yeah. were not about like love and in fact r&b yeah. which has always traditionally been that safe space like you had jodeci taking off their shirts being like i want you you know r&b started yeah. to get really hip-hopified you know with like now there's like it feels like there's almost no difference between hip hop and R and B. Exactly, which is a shame. Yeah, exactly. And so, um, yeah, that's just like a point. Bring back Black Love, though. You know, we have like you know the Daniel Caesars. We're getting more. But of But did like we cancel? The, was it the, was it Daniel Caesar? We yeah, canceled? we did. We I know. <laughs> we we did so, cancel him. He doesn't yeah, like black so women. <laughs> I'm sure there's other people though. Uh, well, you know who's there? Khalid there is there. People. Khalid is there. Other. Um, who else? Yeah, Miguel Gibeon. is there, Miguel, right? Yeah, Miguel counts. Giveon, I love Giveon. Giveon's great. Giveon is great. Giveon. Fantastic. Yeah. What a voice. See? Okay. There, there's people. some. There are people. Yeah. Okay. So, 
last the last little point is the golden age of black mm-hmm. cinema. Misan and I may have even mentioned this when we like had our fangirling over a different yes. world, right? I uh, love that show. It's squarely in the 90s. You ask any black person, especially a millennial, like what was like the moment for black TV and black movies? They will all say the 90s. And then there's part of the early 2000s that gets there, but there's that by, it's like almost by the time like Nana and I got to like high school or something, something started happening where you became the CW and suddenly all the, all those shows that we had are just gone, gone. This is a little bit of a tangent, but there's like great oral histories about how that happened, which is they basically use black audiences to build up their networks and they very consciously decided to move towards white teenagers when they had a tale as old as time. They've done it constantly. And what's so hilarious and hilarious, I mean, like funny, strange, not funny, haha, and you know, almost like dark, darkly funny, is that the shows that they were trying to capture, like to capture like, you know, white teens, aside from like Dawson's Creek, a lot of them really flopped. Like, I mean, lot. Buffy was amazing. I mean, yeah, fine. But I'm just saying, like, they're like, <laughs> yes. for all, for the Buffys yes. and the Dawson's Creek, there were a there bunch were a of other of shows. One like, season very, shows. Yeah. Although I still say that popular should have been more than one season. I really oh, it like was popular. so popular good. Popular is a great show. And it actually <laughs> so- was trying to be a bit subversive. <laughs> yes. That yes. better. Um, but there's some other ones that are just horrible. Yeah. You've, I mean, I do not have great ratings. Yeah. I've watched every single one of them i'm sure oh Young i have too. i watched every i watched everyone everwood <laughs> yeah. but everwood was actually good though everwood was everwood good. was good um uh, we digress because this is about black people today uh- <laughs> <laughs> God. anyway like I, like we said we are checking our biases throughout this podcast clearly. oh lord we are hopeless <laughs> it's not right no, we're not hopeless. We're hopeful in Jesus' we're name, hopeful. as my mother would say. <laughs> I'm so dead. <laughs> you are not dead. You are alive in Jesus' name, as my mother would say. <laughs> oh, goodness. Uh, anyway. Love an African mother's declaration. And it's just got to be, it's, you, you speak the word. You, sp- you name speak. it, you claim it. Life and death are in the power of your tongue. It says so in the Bible, Nana. Amen. Okay, sorry. Amen. That was a total tangent, <laughs> as you uh, were saying. <laughs> yeah, so, I mean, I think the last thing I'll just say is when this movie was made was at the high point. I think yeah. kind of, like, at the end of the high point, maybe slightly tapering off as Misa's yeah, early 2000s. Yeah, 2002. Yeah, um, 2002 of the golden age of black cinema. This is when, like, basically Spike Lee – I, I think it kind of did probably start with Spike Lee in the late 80s. And then again, yeah. white guys were like, oh, but black people like to watch movies and people watch movies with black people. And so you mean they can go to movies? Yeah. They have the money to watch? Man, ever since we yeah. let them read, it's really just yeah. been, you know, new Stop ways to it. let them make money. <laughs> Sorry, I'm sorry. <laughs> so in the late 80s, like, you know, obviously there were others like Robert Townsend, uh, but like, like a bunch of black uh, filmmakers yeah. blew through and that just opened the floodgates and I mean in the 90s we had all these black television shows all these black movies and then through that we had like varieties right we had comedies we had dramas and we had rom-coms and mm-hmm. so one of the interesting things I do want to point out about this era is that like obviously there were a lot of hood movies made let's be real menace to society and all those but I, a lot of the rom-coms were the purview of like upper middle class blackdom and this yeah. movie and I'll maybe talk about it slightly is a little bit of a nod to that but it's a little different too because they're not the same kind of bougie you tend to see in these movies which yeah, i find interesting no, the leads aren't bougie that's true yeah. yeah um and so a lot of these movies just dealt with social mobility and questions of social mobility which is 
epitomized in Dre, as we'll discuss. Yeah. yeah. Um, and yeah, that's like basically where we leave off. We're going to give you a little bit of the plot. But I thought that this movie, there's a lot of like social context around it. And, mm. you know, also I want to explain what happened to we, we're, we're going to be investigating what happened to black love like in the movies you know and this is the, this is this is this is, this is an this is the beginning of our investigative yes report. this is the beginning of our investigative investigative okay. journalism so okay. yeah all right that's fine why don't we go to at first sight <laughs> okay misan why don't you take it Sure. Um, it's so it's funny, actually. I've never seen this movie in full until I had to watch for this podcast. I've only seen like snippets and clips or seen like, you know, a couple of scenes from watching it when it was like constantly on like TBS or whatever basic cable channel it was. Mm-hmm. When it was mm-hmm. when it came out, I remember like I'm a huge love and basketball person. Yeah. And so when it came out, I felt like this movie was trying to compete with love and basketball. And I was like, how dare you? It's almost like Highlander. There can only be one. Say not Lathan, amazing <laughs> rom-com. I'm not watching it. Who do people think you are? No. So I wouldn't watch it. Oh, um, boo, boo. I didn't so I didn't see it in the theater or anything like that. Uh, so I but Nana wanted to watch it for the podcast. And I know it's one of, you know, one of Donna's favorite movies. And I was sort of like really like intrigued by it because I saw a clip on Twitter. Uh, there's where Dre like catches, you know, Reese, which you'll learn more about in the plot, like catches her with another man, his wife, and he does this like amazing line reading. And so I think someone on Twitter was like, what's one of the funniest uh, scenes you've, you've seen in cinematic history? Like one of those like prompts. And someone posted that and I was like, wait, this is funny. What is this from? Brown sugar? No way. And then another thing that I've always really liked is um, that line, you're the perfect verse over a tight beat. Yeah. I think that's like the best compliment to ever give anybody. Uh. And I've always been like, Wow. Like if like if someone said that to me, I'd really be like, wow, thank you. That would I, that would that would move me, you know, move. And, you know, that's a, a euphemism for other things. But oh, that would- <laughs> it make you tingle in your dingle. <laughs> OK, I was trying to be classy. I said it would move me. It would move me. Uh, but it, all, it would move me emotionally and it would move me physically. So I really like I was like, oh, fine, let's watch it. So I watched it. And man. It's good. It's fun. It's a fun movie. I mean, I have other thoughts, but, you know, I'll leave it to Nana. We'll we'll discuss. Um, I, unlike Misan, am really invested in Black Love, and so I was Okay. (laughs) First of all, we've discussed this before. I don't have anything against Black Love. Yay, Black Love. I promise. I don't hate it. Mostly. <laughs> oh, God. I'm kidding. Anyway, I'm kidding. She's, it's not true. I don't, I don't think the ROM squad believes it. I had remember the ROM squad say, uh, send me a text. She was like, I, I'm glad at least one of you believes in Black Love on this podcast. And I couldn't <laughs> believe it. I, I'd never been more like, this. it's not right. Like, it's not fair. Anyway, continue, Nana. I know. Talk. But Misa has a really good, like, layout and her like hair is blown out so you know she has black friends she's not like a candace owens, <laughs> I'm, not candace owens. <laughs> she, right. she, right. I'm not candace owens that's right that's right i'm not candace owens i'm not i'm not one of those black girls i mean yeah. i'm not a regular black girl i'm a cool black girl totally yeah totally anyway um, so you saw it in theater right nana i actually saw it in the theater i am trying to remember what like what was the movie that got us really excited about this movie? It might have been Black Love and Black Basketball. I think I think it was Love and Basketball. I yeah, because yeah, I, I do. Think that was the precursor. Do, yeah, it must have been. But I do remember my friend and I being like, "Oh my gosh, we really want to see this movie." And mm-hmm. it's Sanaa Lathan, 
Tay Diggs. I think at the time I like pretended to be into Tay Diggs because that's what the culture was telling me to do. You don't want I them to. Wasn't. You don't want them to pull your black card. <laughs> I mean, they had already like taken it away. It was given back on a provisional basis. They took it away I because could- of your West Side Story obsession. That's why they took it away. <laughs> and my Valley Girl voice. But then they were like, "You got a booty, so here it is. Here it is on a provisional basis." So I couldn't. I couldn't do anything to compromise that. So I was like, Fair. Tay Diggs is so fine and so i went i went to see this movie with my friend who incidentally is wasn't black but like we both loved rom-coms and Mm. um we went i just like i i mean i can't tell you if i had like a strong reaction i just really enjoyed it i thought it was cute i think that it like i've watched it in tidbits on like tv it's always been kind of like a movie that's you know in the atmosphere but Mm -hmm. i actually don't think i had a real appreciation for the hip-hop themes and a lot of like that kind of commentary on the state of the music industry at the time like that's something Mm. that actually on this rewatch i was like oh this is actually very interesting like the more i've learned about the early 2000s in the music industry like that's this movie was really right there um and so i do like how upon new rewatches there's like more to learn yeah i think there are definitely added layers as you like i'd like like to watch this again and think about things that i missed but i think it's interesting because this movie's 20 years old which is Mm -hmm. crazy to me because 2002 does not feel like that should have been that should know, be 20 dude. years ago. I like I'm really not sure. Like that's very hard to sort of like think about because I'm even like thinking of even some of the fashions are coming back, I think, a little bit now because, you know, fashion is cyclical. So just like mm-hmm. thinking of all of that. What I'm glad isn't coming back is those like weird skinny eyebrows people were doing. Thank God. Oh, uh, yeah. That's over. But like all I mean, of that. I, just, I flirted with that. I, I know I, I I avoided it thank god but like a lot a lot of our sisters did not you know and here we are so <laughs> but it just it was something about it like it's crazy to me that's 20 years ago but it felt it's like oddly like I mean there are ways that like and we'll talk about this more there it's a little too precious about hip-hop and like oh yeah. when did you fall in love like just it's fine like we get the device you're using <laughs> we understand it you're it's probably a little like you're probably belaboring the point a little bit but we're, yeah we're getting it but it's prescient about a lot of things about what people were seeing with hip hop and what was happening. And it's so interesting now because it feels almost quaint now in 2022, now that we see what hip hop and rap yeah. and everything has become. Uh, but I really like the fact that it was trying to say something. Um, and I'm actually intrigued that it actually got made in the first place because it's pretty, you know, it's not subversive. It's just like, it's just like cute, quiet movie, but it says things that are interesting, even if it says them in a little bit of a very like sledgehammery way, like still. It works. Yeah. Oh, and the other thing we have to say, um, Misan is the the filmmaker. What's his name? Oh yeah, uh, Rick Fumiwa or what yeah. is it? Yeah, Rick Fumiwa. Yeah, Rick Fumiwa. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's He's right. Nigerian. That's right. He is. <laughs> Nigeria to the world. Yeah. And he he had made the wood, which is debatable in my opinion if it's a rom-com but it's things that are like kind of skewed towards that audience and he did that's dope right. and a bunch of that's other right. things um so i think it's I, interesting you see his choices in terms of like light, like the, what i like we don't we won't talk about this very much but just like the lighting in terms of like this like very warm mm-hmm. tones you know what i mean like like a lot of like neutrals like brown and like olive like greens that that yeah, I feel like that's, that's a very clear yeah like a really interesting way and you can tell did he direct music videos before i think he might have he might have. I think yes. he might have. Because you can, I can, I think you can always sort of tell. It's almost like with like Melina Matsukas who directs, yeah, who directed music videos before moving to Insecure. You can always tell when that person has like 
that sort of sensibility because I feel like it shows up in the lighting in a very interesting way. Yeah. So I think you see and that. And the, the lady who did something new too. I'm forgetting her name, but yeah, that's right. that's right. That's right. That's um, right. I will say, I actually hadn't really, I'm glad you pointed out the hues because it, it feels like a variation of the classic New York like autumn like rom-com aesthetic in terms of like mm-hmm. that those warm hues and, yeah. I mean this mo- movie has consistently been compared to like when Harry met Sally like yeah. unspokenly it's like the black version of when Harry met Sally and it yeah. does I almost do feel like it's like the other side of that coin like right instead of you know being in the upper west side these two black people are oftentimes in Fort Greene yeah which of course they are gentrification though which is interesting Um, and so yeah I think that that might be like that might be contributing to that like like I think maybe they're coming from a very similar sort of language yeah yeah like in that like I would not be surprised if like when Harry met Sally was like a like a key mood board sort of way yeah Rick from you I was like looking through what he was going to do and I just checked he wasn't a music video director before which I it's like she's just like a straight film school like okay. director but I just I think the Hughes point is still very interesting like I considering it's 2002 like being able to like light black skin in a way that is is vibrant and not mm-hmm. dull I think is not something to sort of be um dismissed out of hand so yeah. okay cool so we're gonna get to the plot I'm gonna do ah! something different oh, ah, God. which is what not get it, it means that I'm literally just gonna give the most basic synopsis <laughs> do you guys believe her I don't believe her, but let's see. Okay, go ahead, Nana. Go ahead. Oh, what would your mom say right now? In Jesus' name, <laughs> <laughs> I declare victory in Jesus' name. So, amen, amen, amen. All right, so let's I'm, go. Let's do the I'm plot. Do it. All right, stretch. Basic. Get yourself ready. Mm-hmm. You know. No, I don't need your... to stretch because this is gonna be a. Like, <laughs> okay. All right. Um, do it. Go for it. I'm here. I'm listening. Basic plot structure, or basic plot is we have two main characters, one named Dre, one named Sydney. Sydney mm-hmm. is the girl played by Sanaa Lathan, Dre by Tay Diggs. These two people um, met when they were children in like where, like at some park or whatever in Boogie Down Bronx, right? Mm-hmm. And so like the movie starts, um, I'll just say this is a little detail, but I thought it was really cool because the movie starts with a lot of sort of verite style um, interviews with real life rappers asking yeah. them this question that's a little cheese that Misan mm-hmm. mentioned, which is, when did you fall in love with hip hop? And so we're introduced, one, to Sydney, who is like a hip hop journalist, and we're seeing her kind of reminisce about how this is the question she asks everybody. Yeah. And then I think a lot of this movie is about authenticity, and I think to they throw us immediately into that authenticity, um, mm-hmm. the authenticity of the movie, of the filmmaker, by like, introducing us to all these rappers and i mean it's crazy i had like i gotta go to the list because the cameos in this movie are fucking ridiculous i'm sorry like we had um pete rock like just like hip-hop like royalty legends yeah we had talib kweli we had common at some point who i think was called common sense back then yeah Um, when he started out he was called common sense yeah we had um, like method man who is my boo-boo for real for life attractive uh like what a good looking uh, man he's been yeah he's been attractive all of mm, his life 
He's been like, attractive since he was wearing the big tees. It does make any sense. It, like, it with, does, is, yeah. it, is it fair? It's not. But anyway, <laughs> He's moving on. Beautiful. <laughs> um, so Black Thought, Jermaine Dupree. Like, I mean, not just even New York rappers, right? Russell yeah. Simmons. Ooh. That doesn't age well. He should be in um, prison. Yeah. Allegedly. Quest- yeah, but yeah, okay. <laughs> I'm saying a lot. We all saw, we're, yeah, we're, yeah, we're lawyers, but exactly, watch that but, documentary. Yeah, that's all I'll say about that. <laughs> uh, Quest Love, and yeah, and then so they basically are going like Cindy's talking about the first time she encountered hip hop, which is the mm-hmm. t- first time she met um, Dre, which was they're at a park and the Kangol crew is rapping. So we have like. Doug, uh, what's his name? Dougie Fresh, like doing the beatboxing. Yeah. Slick Rick, uh, someone else, uh, Dana Dane are like, and so like again, this movie has like everybody who's kind of considered an icon in hip hop at the time. Hip hop, yeah. yeah, yeah, like appearing, and I mean. The, and this is the other, just the nerd about me. Okay, so the other thing I'll just mention before I get into this, I'm not a crazy hip hop head, but I'm like, I had that like independent hip hop moment. I was like, you're a they, like, DJ. you're like, you are, you're like Dre and Sydney. Like you're like, oh, we want it to be about the roots, about you know the real core, the meaning of hip hop, not just like shaking your ass and talking about bottles. Guys, yeah. I'm gonna be honest. I'm the other type of person. Give me. All the verses about shaking your ass. And Listen, I love so that this whole thing about too. like, oh, hip hop has lost his. So I'm just, I was like sitting here rolling my eyes, I'm like Dre, you have got to relax. And also, I bet you're sorry. I this is a spoiler, no, go. But I don't think your la- I don't think your label did that well. If you're going to continue this, like, I am, you know, the sort of the. Um, the uh the high judge of hip hop. I wish I was trying okay. to find another H letter for that. So it's rap proper alliteration, but I couldn't get it. Yeah. It's okay. But I am the high judge and I say what is pure and what is what is meaningful. And that's what I I only want to do meaningful rap. Here's the thing, guys, and I really hate to break it to you people. Sometimes meaningful rap is really boring. Do I want to listen to meaningful rap at two o'clock in the morning in the club? No. There's a time and place for everything. We will get to this, but this movie is, especially given the time it was made, was when yeah. there was this explosion of amazing, what you call like conscious rap or underground yeah. rap. And these yeah. independent labels like Raucous Records, who I think gets a name check, um, Stones mm-hmm. Throw Records, uh, XL. Like there were all these like independent rap labels making, yeah. churning out phenomenal artists. That's where I will debate Nissan a little bit because there was phenomenal not mainstream rap coming out at this time and i think yeah. that's what dre was like kind of coming from you know what i mean but he just doesn't want to make money this is the thing that, wh- whatever i know it's that's true the- eventually like talib kweli made feedback and like made songs about shaking that ass like yeah, everybody like, every, like, so, like the people had some people had to sell out i bet yeah. dre was very upset about that i bet dre complained to sydney for months about that i believe that but uh yeah so they have the point is that I see where they're coming from. That was just yeah. kind of a side. We will get into that a little mm. of our personal hip hop histories, but I wanted to add that. They coming from the Bronx, every not everyone. I'm going to just explain. Bronx birthplace of hip hop, late 70s, you had DJ Cool Herc with his like mm-hmm. little boom, you know, his system p- talking over it. Oh my gosh, rap is bored. Predominantly black Latinx um people. Artists. Yeah. artists in the Bronx. And so like for the longest time, like the only real hip hop was deemed to have come out of New York. Right. So I think it's yeah. very important that they grew up in the Bronx at this, like the height of hip hop. Right. Mm-hmm. Okay. 
That was longer. She derailed me though. She is trying to I'm not doing it on purpose. I'm not doing it on purpose. Anyway, so Sydney and Dre, they've been best friends. The yeah. movie starts with the all those interviews. We see yeah. that Sydney is getting is like lives in LA but is getting ready for a move back to New York. Yeah, move back to New York. Dre is working at a record label. He's like, you know, you can tell like the nature of their relationship. She, he's calling her being like, can you help me with like, like good review, review. blah, blah, blah. Yeah. So yeah. we get, the, I think the only reason why I bring that up is as important is that not only are they good friends, but professionally, they're like very much on the same level. Like, mm-hmm. I think it's very rare to see a rom-com where professionally the woman, especially at that time, that professionally yeah. the woman and the man are like equals, co-equals. That's a right? really good point. That's a very yeah. good point. Yeah. Um, and so like the, the, the gist of it is I'm not going to go through every scene, but they're, they're really good friends. (laughs) I'm not doing it this time. They're really good friends who have this, a bit of sexual tension. It's a, it's a little, there's a wrench thrown in it because he is engaged to be married to Reese and we'll break down the characters later. I'll let Misan do a lot of that since I'm going to be talking a bit. Um, but (laughs) like, he's like marrying this light skinned woman who's a lawyer is bougie. And I think, you know, oftentimes this archetype of woman represents class ascendancy for black men right and so it's like clear like he's got the beautiful light-skinned lawyer girlfriend wife or soon-to-be wife he's got the job with the nice suits he's got two diamonds in his ear one in each ear which in the early 2000s you couldn't touch a man who had a diamond in each ear (laughs) you know what i mean and then he has this great job um but he's dissatisfied because he's like signing on these like really crappy sellout rap artists his boss is played by Wendell Pierce, who like clearly doesn't care about the genre, about no. the music, about the Sydney, art. or the art. Meanwhile, Sydney seems to be a little more in touch with authentic hip hop. She mm. moves to New York because she is now an editor. I, um, at Double um, Bell, XL, which, yeah. again, if you are not familiar, was I don't know if it's still around. It might still be, but at, at the time, it was like the one of the premier hip hop. Yeah, like it I, it's like, missed. It's still around, but it has it's missed its heyday. Its heyday is okay. long gone. Yeah. So it was like the source Double XL. I think yeah. there were a couple other ones, but mm-hmm. so she's like she's. Um, she's kind of career-wise in a very solid place. And yeah. he, she, whereas he's having all these existential questions about, am I selling out? What about hip-hop? Blah, 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 blah. So the night before his wedding, he and Sydney kiss, and then he proceeds to go, continue with the wedding, which, okay, fine. It's a choice. <laughs> um, and there's like a funny scene where her cousin, played by Queen Latifah, was like, she... <laughs> She got your man up there. She's like, go get your man. <laughs> it was so funny. <laughs> Francine was such an agent of chaos. <laughs> yeah, I love her so much. Like she during the wedding, great. she's literally like, no, 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 no. You got to go up and get object. your You have to object. Um, so Queen Latifah plays her sidekick slash best friend, uh, Francine. Meanwhile, He's like kind of, you know, putzing around. He wants to sign this artist played by Most Deaf, who is a very good actor. I'm going to add, I saw him on Broadway when I was a kid. I remember that because I was like, why is he good at acting? And it's like, oh, because he acts for real. Um, (laughs) (laughs) But he plays like an underground rapper who is like, a cab driver by the day but mm-hmm. does, so it indicates that he hasn't sold out it's not about the money it's about the art and he is not swayed by dre 
primarily because Dre just like represents real shit artists like this hilarious yeah. duo, duo called Ren and Ten, the hip hop Dalmatians mm-hmm. um, and others. Uh, he is starting to spin out, have an existential crisis, eventually quits his job, doesn't tell his wife about it until after the fact but he does tell sydney that he's done it he's like i want to start my own label sydney's like here's some money of course that brings up some tension because his wife is like why didn't you tell me about a big life decision and also fair points why are you talking to sydney about it and accepting money from this woman before you even talk to me so his wife it clearly has issues with their relationship but she's very passive aggressive about it because I think she thought this is just my take she thought that when she got married like Cindy was part of the package right so she couldn't yeah. do anything about it but it's yeah. starting to like be clear it's a problem they also yeah. got married very quickly they were barely together yeah okay meanwhile Sydney's life love life a NBA player I think for the Knicks Nets no the Nets, Nets is it's the Nets and they were in New Jersey at that time. That's right. I know things. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Kid Fury, I know sports. <laughs> so he's played by Boris Kojo, who is, you know, that I don't even have to say mwah, 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 beautiful. So sexy. It's <laughs> so sexy. I, I'm speechless. <laughs> um, he shows interest in Sydney. Of course, Dre is jealous, as men are wont to do when another man is playing with what they perceive to be their toy okay Mm -hmm. so sydney and kelby this is boris kojo are getting hot and heavy he eventually proposes dre is like whoa like what's happening i'm gonna lose my best friend oh by the way it turns out my wife is cheating on me there's a confrontation where that amazing line delivery that misan (laughs) mentioned (laughs) what he's like what are you saying He's like, he asks for like a round of champagne or whatever for the table. And he's like, yeah, because we're fin to celebrate my ding, 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 divorce. divorce. <laughs> that line read. Oh, my God. We didn't get it right at all. But it's no. my divorce. Oh, but it's, it's hilarious. It's, it's the best. It's the best. Watch it just okay. for that. Yeah, so basically we, we're seeing – a lot of this movie is interestingly – and maybe it's because it's coming from a male perspective. Yeah. Um, like, it's really focused on the deconstruction of Dre's life and, like, rebuilding it into, like, the thing that he – like, the pure thing, right? Mm-hmm. Um, hip, you know, the thing that he wanted when he was a kid that he strayed away from. Um, yeah. So then Sydney and Dre – Spoiler alert, but the whole thing is a spoiler alert. They have sex. Sydney's mm-hmm. freaking out and is like, I'm like engaged to this other guy, no Dre. And then meanwhile, Dre is like, I'm in love with you. You know, like that's the whole vibe we're getting. Yeah. Um, eventually, Sydney ends it with Kelby because Kelby is like, are you in love with this guy? And she's like, I, I can't help what my heart feels or something like that. You know, or my head and my heart are different things, whatever. Um so meanwhile, she goes, she writes her book because she's writing a book about hip hop. It's a very thinly veiled metaphor for her feelings about him. She goes on to the Angie Martinez very show. Very thinly veiled. Very, <laughs> yeah, very. thinly veiled. She's like, I first fell in love with hip hop when I was 10, sitting at the and park. And then Dre when shows up. <laughs> Yeah. Like, oh, hip hop. <laughs> um, and so he, she's on the Angie Martinez show for Hot 97. Again, major hip hop institutions, especially at that time, Hot 97 and Angie Martinez. Is, is she still on Hot 97? I don't know, actually. But she, um, but she, but Angie Martinez was like a cultural institution, basically. Yeah. She was so popular. She even had her own book. Like, you know, if you, if you wanted to be at the time, if you wanted to be like minted in hip hop, 
you have to have like you know get some sort of nod by being on her show with Andy Martinez. Mm-hmm. She's like hip hop history, New York hip hop history for sure. Yeah, she also randomly had that flirtation with rap. You remember when she was on that ladies? Yes, I forgot it. You know what? I <laughs> yeah. bought her single. I just realized that I remember that I bought her single. <laughs> it was fine. Yeah, was whatever. Fine. She was a great DJ. She's um, an so- excellent DJ. And I think so she, she. I think we thought at that point that the Scott was the, like she had hit the sky of the limit for DJs. Uh, like she hit that limit. But then DJ Khaled came through and just was like, "Oh, I don't even need to rap. I could just say, you know, words, and then people yeah. will join me." And now here we are. If I were Angie Martinez, I'd be upset. At DJ Khaled's success, actually. Yeah. Also, the fact that Angie Angie Martinez, no shade to her, but like, it's just illustrative of at that time everybody was like getting a record deal. Every, <laughs> like everybody, everybody. Was Everybody was getting the labels were like, let's see what will hit. We don't know. Yeah. We don't know. <laughs> exactly. Um, but anyway, on the Angie Martinez show, she confesses like she's talking about like, oh, hip hop. I fell in love with hip hop. But like all these are like oddly specific to my relationship with Dre. Dre overhears it with his now sidekick, Kavi, who's played by most deaf. He's yeah. like, Kavi's like, oh, my God, it's you. Like, you got to go down there. So Dre goes down. He's Well, first he calls and he's talking to her. Then he mm-hmm. goes down to the station. They have this great big grand gesture moment. They have a kiss that lasts a very long time, might I add. Yeah, it was a and- very long kiss. It was happening right by in the corner <laughs> yeah. by Angie Martinez as the show yeah. was continuing. Yeah. <laughs> and that's the end of the movie. Yeah, that's, yeah. Yeah. That was a fairly, the actual plot summary was short. We just had a yeah. lot of interjections. We had just had tangents. Well, I just yeah. want to say two things about, like, I mean, because you already, I think you already got into the characters a little bit. So I don't think we need to do too much more. I just want to say mm-hmm. two things about the, like, the obstacles to their love. Because yeah. what I find interesting was, like, I can I can see if you were watching when you were younger, you would think that, like, Reese was a horrible person for what she yes. did to Dre. Yeah. But honestly, like, I have a lot of sort of um, empathy for her because she met this guy. They fell in love. She heard about Dre's best friend. She hadn't met, you know, they were by engaged, practically engaged by the time Sydney moves from LA. So she wasn't aware of this like, like hold that Sydney yes. seemed to have on Dre, right? She had no way of knowing it. And then she tried to make it work and be comfortable, I think, with it. And, and she was not, very nice to Sydney. She was very nice. It's just that she and Sydney are very different people. Like Sydney is like the, arc, like, you know, the classic, like cool girl, like yes. archetype, right? that I always have like a bit of a disdain for because it's like, I'm not like other girls. Mm -hmm. I'm like a tomboy and I'm not like, I don't like dresses and I just want to be one of the dudes. And it's just like, that's fine. So that's, she has a little, she has a little bit of that. She wears like Um, kicks. She's like not comfortable and like, yeah, she's like, Oh, I don't like to dress up. Blah, blah. I'm like, all right, fine. Cool. We get, we get all these like sort of signifiers. Like you're like, maybe you're inherently better as a person because you don't like to dress up. That's stupid. Mm -hmm. Um, (laughs) That in my very not humble opinion. Um, And then Reese, like Reese is very different. Like she's classic bougie, you know, you know, like very sort of like delicate and that so that you sort of have them be like clear sort of like, they're very, very different people immediately. And they represent, I think, different pipes of Dre's life, like Dre's sort of authenticity in the sense, like, this is where he's coming from. Um, and then, oh, can I add one important yeah, fact, too? Reese is an entertainment lawyer. And so yeah. she actually signs a lot of these, like, shitty artists, like Ren and yeah. Ten are her clients, whereas, like, Sydney is, like, the purest. And so Reese yeah. is, like like to the T represents that kind of commercialization materialism yeah. and all that stuff. And like, um, 
even though she lives in a brownstone in Fort Greene, Sydney is <laughs> authentic and of the yeah. streets. I mean, well, brownstone in Fort Greene, Fort the know, end of time. means different yeah. things in 2022 than yeah. it does in 2002, yeah. in fairness, <laughs> uh, in, in all fairness to that. But, but it's but like- But she's it's a kind of, millionaire now. Yeah, <laughs> a lot of money. It's clear that's like, oh, these are two very different people. And like the movie wants you to like sort of root for- um, the authentic woman that is really the one that really understands him. But honestly, like to Reese's, like Reese tried to work around Sydney or w- work with her. Mm-hmm. Reese is like she didn't tell Dre to for- she didn't force Dre to marry her. She's not a harpy. She's not a shrew. She's just someone that wants that had a partner that they decide to do life together. And then he like suddenly changes the game and the dynamics on her without telling her anything, and then expects her to just deal with it. Like yeah. the fact that he went ahead and like made that huge decision and hadn't discussed it with her clearly before and then went to go talk to Sydney about it without like any any woman would be upset yeah. by that. Like she was not wrong for that, for feeling upset. And honestly, like I think there's a strong argument to be made that like, yeah, she like was physically cheating or finally like trying to find solace with physically person. cheating. That's like entanglements. You're getting real. I know, but I but I do <laughs> I think know. that I do, but I do think that Sydney and Dre like were emotionally. Dre, yeah. They're emotionally cheating, and they also physically cheated. <laughs> also, so like there's no sort of moral high ground. So I just think totally. it's it felt like you know Reese gave Dre the excuse to sort of be like, oh, I can be out of there. It's not my fault, you know. Like so, sort of like a classic yeah. thing to do. Like curates to sort of be like, oh, but I'm not going to be the bad guy. But no, you're you are the villain in the story. So that's the Reese part of it, for, or uh, that's the Reese the other, part of it for me. Another thing I'll add about Reese, and again, I think the movie, to your point, squarely takes the side. Like she's a little bit of the bad guy. Like I yeah. just think that's. But you get these snippets, like at the end when she's she's cheated, right? Like, yeah. But she like comes to him, and they're you know he wants to get a divorce, and, and she's, she's like, like, we should you know, try. We, we should really try. try. We didn't really yeah, try. Yeah, which is a and, fair. You know, and so she, she's, like, not this, like, kind of femme fatale or this vixen. Like, she no. seemed to have really loved him. And then when he kind of said no, she was so gracious about it. Like, yeah, really gracious was. about it. Yeah. Like, and she was kind of, like, you know, like, let me buy you a drink and let's have, like, a nice night out. And, you know, like, so yeah. I, I I did really actually have a lot more empathy, to your point, empathy for her character than yeah, I, I did Yeah, I think there were really shades. Yeah. They made her, like, they gave her, made her a real person. Like, I, I think yeah. Nana and I say this a lot on podcasts, but it's, like, it's much more entertaining where you have people that are not caricatures, but people that like you can understand sort of how this relationship has devolved into what it's turned into. Yeah. And then for my man, Kelvy, oh, Kelvy, mm. Nana has a different opinion, but I mean, yes, <laughs> I'm not surprised. I mean, you're the one that you're obsessed with Tate Tay Diggs's character, Tate Diggs and Tate Diggs's character because they're both goofy. I can see it. I get the charm. I see the appeal. I see. Am I am I moved the same way? No. No, no tingle um, in your dingle. I get it. I'm gonna make that a thing. I'm making it a thing. It's it just it's so crass, Nana. It's so crass. Um, but I I liked the fact that Kelby came for Sydney at a time where she sort of had to remind her, like she you know she had her shot with Dre. He'd asked her at college in college when I guess they both went to Columbia probably, um, and she said. No, she didn't think it made sense because she was always too afraid to try, which is sort of like a return to that theme that we had in the plus one episodes about just like going for it. Just go for it and see what happens. Um, So she was always afraid to try. So she'd rather have them still be friends. But then, you know, now he's off and he's married and there's some sort of chemistry there. But she has to sort of put that away and let it go. And Kelby shows up to remind her that, you know, she's a woman. He's into Mm -hmm. her like he's in love Mm -hmm. with her and to help her sort of read like understand that there are parts of her that she doesn't have to sort of lock up just because the person that she's that she thought was the love of her life is 
otherwise engaged, I suppose. So I really, I liked their, I don't know. I thought they were, um, I thought they were a good couple. I thought they were cute. I, I did the scene where like, he like has cooked her dinner. Um, yeah. Dre says she has it. He has it, but she seems to have cooked her dinner. And then they're walking um, by the river and then they're talking about, oh, are they, if they're going to have sex tonight, basically or not. And then like she's making fun of his shot, and then she like pull, he like grabs her and is like, "Come here and kisses her." I didn't. I like mean that. That, re- that re- didn't. I really works for me. This is why we're I so just- different. <laughs> I like that would totally work on me. That would work on me. I just perfectly. I don't know. Maybe it's the combination when he's a ball player, and no, no, you don't trust them. Like let's be real. Like. Well, clearly Dre can be trusted either. Dre was cheating on his yes, wife the okay. night before his wedding okay. and cheated constantly. What do you mean? But to- you can't trust men, period. <laughs> <laughs> Basketball players are notoriously reckless. Athletes um, are notoriously reckless. No, not just I think basketball sp- players. I think basketball players. No, are- it's all athletes, man. It's I think all athletes. All a- okay, this, we'll have to take this offline. I mean, the people who have, like, when you think of, like, Wilt Chamberlain, when you think of the people who have slept with, like, all those women it's like consistently basketball players there's no, like such the one, a culture the t- they just want to talk about it all of them are doing it okay. the football players are doing it intensively anyway all i just say to say <laughs> is when he like pulled when he was like come here and i was like <gasps> it was so uh, forceful i it was oh my god see this i think we've established that i really like a little bit of arrogance and you hate it <laughs> <laughs> mm, I don't like I didn't like it I like it I, I like, like it. it I like a little like all right yeah this is what's happening and it works for Sydney clearly it for Sydney anyway so I so I liked I liked the the Kelby sort of Sydney relationship for her to sort of remember who she is and like what she's like capable of as a woman and what I thought was interesting I think I guess we're talking more about the couples their relationship more than we before we get to other themes yeah what I found true. the most interesting thing was that Neither Reese or Kelby are bad people. You know what I mean? Yeah. They're not horrible. They're not villains in the story, actually. The people that have actually been behaved badly are Dre and Sydney. You know what I mean? Well, Those people that- with like a critical eye, right? With a crit- yeah, but they've, they've, behaved, they've behaved badly, yes. right? Uh, Kelby and uh, Reese have not done that, you know? Like even like Sydney mentions that like, her, like when um, Dre's trying to get on her for like getting engaged to Kelby so quickly, he's like, are you sure? She's like, I like I'm not obsessed with you. Like I have a guy that's like wealthy, that's great, yeah. um, that gives it to me regularly, and it's bomb, which is this classic, you know, 2002 yeah, yeah. slang. Yeah. But I found that so interesting that he's like, there's nothing like she loved. She loved Kelby, but it just yeah. wasn't the same sort of love that she had for Dre. And it's because he couldn't supplant Dre in her heart because Dre had been in there since they were kids, and that's really hard to you know. Yeah. And then when Dre and Sydney actually sleep together, it's not even good. <laughs> yeah, that's I mean, true. like, but I, like I, I don't know if we could tell if it wasn't good. Or well, it was when I say much. not good, it wasn't yeah. like, you know, it wasn't like a show of like, because, you know, I think there's always this idea in rom-coms, especially like in like when it's a love story, like, oh, your true love, like everything. And we talked about this a little bit last week when we talked about people having sex for the first time. But like your true love, like everything will work together. Like all the limbs will go where they need to go. And yeah. It'll be like this amazing sort of like feeling of like, oh, my God we are, I am in my true love's arms and this has come and come together perfectly. What I liked that the movie did was not like, oh, this was amazing. It was like, they played that for us. It was like, oh, that was really short. And Sydney yeah. says like, that was the most That's amazing, true. like five. five and then minutes. they're like, oh, seven, eight. All right, yeah. we'll say eight <laughs> minutes of, and Dre's like, damn, okay, I'll have to do better next time. But like, I liked it. I liked that sort of that honesty that it wasn't about physical attraction. Was that they was just like, they just had a deep abiding love yeah. and they were meant to be. I thought that was an interesting way to sort of, cast the story and then when they had to sort of put in obstacles they were like oh kelby doesn't read her stuff i, well, 
thought okay. that was a cop out. I thought that was a cop out. I thought it was. I thought they had to. I thought they had. They had everything that was clearly so perfect. So I had to throw in the one thing because uh, I, I don't I believe that guy. That guy that has been like so interested in wanting to date Sydney, put in all that effort, like wanted her specifically. He doesn't read any of her stuff, really. How does he know about her? Really? I didn't yeah. buy that. I thought that this was a cop like, out. I struggled. And I think maybe this is kind of what you're alluding to. I think for a lot of the movie, I felt kind of similar, similarly about Kelby. The like, I yeah. didn't really love how they got together because I felt like he was like, we're going to sleep together. Like that line would never work on me. You know what I mean? I'm just different strokes for different folks I suppose uh, I, re- but- I don't want to encrypt myself any further because I don't know who's listening to this podcast <laughs> you're like it has worked I don't know did I say did I say any of that I did not say any of that I'm not encrypting before someone uses this like a manual <laughs> like oh I know how to get this chick <laughs> oh, Jesus be offense anyway as you were saying so I wasn't gr- clear on that, like how I felt about him. But to your point, like I remember even in my notes, I was like, oh, this is like a really good relationship. He seems yeah, like a really it was nice a good guy. Fit. Yeah, yeah. And then I feel like the not reading thing just kind of confused me because I wasn't sure if it was trying to cast doubt on everything he did before. Like it was kind of like he was just kind of like pretend you know because once like you throw in the doubt like he has he's been lying about something so fundamental then it was like is he just running game like dre had yeah. accused him of doing but i didn't or i didn't, he, I didn't and i wasn't so. clear i was frankly not clear on that like yeah I, I and i wasn't know. sure what the movie was trying to it just felt like they were trying to throw something in to make it like be like oh we've we built him up as this like amazing partner why would sydney ever go for him when i would i think if it'd been like i almost wish they hadn't done the reading thing i almost wish they just had it been like they cut that part out and had it been that, like, she just loves him yeah. in a different, excuse me, in a different way than she loves Dre. Like, I think if it were, if it were a show now or a movie now, they wouldn't have done that. I think, like, yeah. when I think about Love Life, for example, like, um, with season two, they would, they wouldn't often have been afraid to say, like, oh, like, this just, just doesn't work. It doesn't fit. It doesn't have to be this, like, one thing that's, like, oh, suddenly this isn't yeah. the guy. Because life doesn't really work that way. You know what I mean? Like. Totally. And I, and, and- I thought it was a more interesting sort of thing to sort of wrestle with to be like oh like this love story that we've worked for is because this is just who is my person is I could have had the relationship with this person but it I like I feel so differently I can't I have to go and just, and try this I, and I thought yeah. I think they would have made it easier to not spell it out so much for us around be like this was a tough decision and I yeah. made it just like people make these type type of tough decisions in real life like do you go for like your passionate love or someone that has everything on paper, but something like, you know, chemistry wise doesn't work or everything else works, but there's someone that you can't get out of your head. Like, I like that sort of like wrestling more than, you know, sort of I thought it was just a cop out the way they did it at the end. Yeah, I think like I think basically like you're highlighting something important, which is like at that time, rom-coms followed like a particular formula. And I think mm-hmm. this movie was trying to adhere to that. It was almost yeah. like sort of split personality because in mm. some ways it felt like it was kind of trying to do a little of what you said because yeah. the way they split from both partners was so amicable. It left you feeling like those partners were genuine, genuinely good people, right? Like, yeah, even Kelby, yeah. like yeah. you felt like, oh, she's letting go of someone who's perfectly nice, right? Yeah, but then like they he's not also- a bad person. He's just not like hurt. What- yeah. Right now, yeah. But then they would throw in obstacles and like kind of these things that kind of vilified or the the other partner in a certain way. So like, oh, like he's not reading, but he lied about it, or like, yeah, um, with um, 
what's her name Reese it's like she and I do feel like the movie does try to paint her in this light like she doesn't get his art she doesn't she's care. not about authenticity it's like listen yeah. she's trying like somebody should one one someone should make money in that family currently since he has quit his job so like yeah. sorry that she has to like sell out to, to sign all the maybe it's because we're attorneys too but sorry she has to like sell out to sign like <laughs> Ren and Ten and do what she needs to do to make money to afford that freaking huge uh like apartment that they lived in that apartment was beautiful yeah. I mean, somewhere it's a little in Manhattan, cold. Right? So it's obviously but, somewhere. It's, yeah, it's probably like Chelsea or something. Like yeah. very cold. And like, to be able to afford that. So it's like, oh, but she doesn't really get the passion about like real hip hop and really being authentic. The same sort of thing with Kelby. Like, oh, he's not authentic because he doesn't read her stuff. I'm like, you guys. But I, I don't think it's about. OK, so yes, I think in, in some ways it's like they're less cool. They're not. Authentic. Yeah, they're not as authentic. But I think, they're not about the the, but, the the art. But I think what it really was is like they don't understand their partners. Right. So like, he, yeah, like. Sydney's writing is so fundamental to who she is and how she thinks and whatever and the fact that he has never been privy to that is like a huge red flag and in the same way and I actually think that's fair I think where I actually disagreed like kind of squarely was when um what's her name uh Sydney is kind of accusing Reese, like, you're acting like this record label thing is a hobby. Oh, I know, and like, I know. And it's kind yeah. of like, to your point one, it's like, we get, I mean, Reese is paying for her wedding ring, right? Like, yeah. Reese is, like, pro- providing. She has the right to ask questions about yeah, household yeah, income. Yeah, um, But two, and this is why I think there is, like, hashtag justice for Reese, Dre never availed himself to her in this way. You can yeah. tell, like, he never told her these dreams. He never mentioned he was unhappy. Like, I, I mean, I'm reading into it, but this is yeah. what you can tell. He never but told From what they he, presented us in the movie, yeah, he never took he never her into being an her, emotional confidant at all. Yeah. yeah. But he, I, I doubt he told her that he hated his job, that he wanted to do these other things. And so yeah, to, like, kind of... it seem like he did, yeah. It, it felt like, in some ways, they were kind of vilifying her for not, you know, being with it. But, like, to your point, I think it would have been nicer if it was just, like, these people, like just don't necessarily get them in the same way right but yeah. I felt like it did the classic like rom-com thing where like we have to be okay with the fact that our leads had been unfaithful and unfair so yeah. we have to like make us us dislike the other people in some way because yeah. I don't think the movie, yeah I don't think me. the movie ever really is totally transparent or interrogates the fact that like what you said they like emotionally cheated and then really cheated you know yeah like most yeah like Every like every single like at different points they did things that were sort of like a betrayal to their partners. It's something that if they if they found out the partners were doing that with somebody else, they would feel very devastated by. So yeah. Yeah. But that's the so, classic rom com thing though. If it's their true it's, love then it's okay yeah. that they've yeah. done it. Okay, so, uh, one second. There's like a lot of noise because of the baby, so let's just wait. Okay. And there is like some like traffic sounds coming, so hopefully that okay. doesn't pick up. We may up just either. have to contend with background noise. Yeah, um, I think it can't be helped sometimes. But um I think like we've discussed this um extensively. I think the movie tries to make I think the central question that animates their love story is the idea of growing up to get together like with a person or mm-hmm. growing up and like becoming that better person for them. I think rom-coms yeah. tend to like do one or the other right and this Mm. movie's squarely focused on like just nobody will know you the way this person who's like known you your entire life knows you right and the draw or the legitimacy in their relationship comes from the fact they quote unquote know each other deeply and that's like what they keep driving home um 
I, I thought it was interesting. I just kind of because I rem- I took this. I don't, did you ever take this class at our school that we went to about ro- romance or rom-coms? I, I did I took not class. take that rom-com class. Was, I should have, though. It was really good. But one of I the points now. our professor kind of made was that, you know, it was about Philadelphia Story, the Katherine Hepburn, uh, mm-hmm. Cary Grant movie, about how the movie and a lot of rom romances are – like very much about in group versus out group and so like when the two like protagonists are from the in group it's like inherently we want to root for them and Mm. in a story like Philadelphia story it's often around class right like kind of Regency era you want people from the same class to like be with each other you know we don't want yeah. any sort of outside people sullying them right not and, the bloodline <laughs> not the, the bloodlines blood and whereas I, I don't think that's happening here kind of but it's like maybe to some extent but reverse right so we have the two yeah. what I presume working class people but like instead of like maybe moneyed class it's focused on this like authenticity or closeness to hip-hop right and we don't mm-hmm. want like the outsiders who are kind of posers because we kelby we get that he wants to rap like the way i know like there's that funny rap. bit of like yeah it's like <laughs> making fun of basketball players like rapping with this shack um yes. and the other oh, yeah who can forget shack's hallowed storied hip-hop career <laughs> <laughs> Oh my God, you're a hater. But you know, there was a time that there was this like, like I think what I've always found very, this is a total tangent. What I've always found interesting is like, I think this like, the movie teases at it a little bit, doesn't really get into it, but that sort of interplay of like black coolness and like popularity between like musicians and athletes, especially with basketball players and hip hop artists and that sort of like love affair that they have with each other as they bond. You still see it now with the different friendships and like when you drop, you know, there's name dropping in songs and stuff like that. And so I can see why. I'm going to say something I know. Allen Iverson brought the hip hop aesthetic to basketball. Thank you. Thank you. (laughs) Nana. I I honestly think you should be the sports correspondent for this podcast. You're so like, you just have the knowledge <laughs> but that's right yeah. alan iverson did bring that i mean he was his mom was doing his cornrows on the yeah. court while i was sitting on the bench all that sort of stuff but there was that like very like this is around the time where that interplay becomes more like because like visible. hip-hop is getting commercialized so it becomes more yeah. and more visible to the point that i can see why like athletes are like oh i would love to rap sure i could rap you know or have this like there's this like really interesting fascination or interplay within like especially nba players yeah. basketball players and um, hip hop and rappers, like I find that yeah. very interesting. That you still see it today. Uh, so I think yeah, that totally. that sort of points to it with that with the Kelby piece of it, which I think is very funny. <laughs> but again, like again, so they were like the sort of commercial epitomization of black cool but then there's like the real black cool right and that's like where you get from the underground hip-hop artists the people who like because like i mean it's interesting because sydney and um dre play this game where they're like singing different like they say different lyrics and talk about their greatest song i mean they're talking about like the beastie boys which i feel like isn't really a cool in like that you know that like and the, what we're talking about like the yeah i know it's, just like, cool. it's, just like, it's for like it's the music no. people like yeah the, like if know. you're like a big hip-hop head like i like yeah. not as the hip-hop head of us like you know <laughs> but okay so. sorry this is this is totally a tangent but you remember when um what's the dude's name rosen is it rosenberg that uh dj yeah, which kind of reminds me of, remember when um, Nicki Minaj, he was like kind of, he was dissing her for like wearing all yeah. like the wigs or whatever. Yeah, yeah, and yeah I remember. It's very, and there was this whole discussion about like 
hip hop. Oh, yeah, the chicken um, wing. Yeah. Remember yeah, but it's just like, who's yeah. the gatekeeper for hip hop? There's always yeah. been this strain in hip hop that is yeah. about gatekeeping and about authenticity. Authenticity, and mm-hmm. like Sydney and Dre are well. Sydney is squarely a gatekeeper, right? Yeah. Dre used to like Dre is outside of the gates. He wants to get back in because that's where yeah. he started. He wants to be and the so arbiter. The, yeah, he yeah. wants to be the arbiter. And, like, so we had, like, I guess, like, in the parallel of the Philadelphia story, instead of being, like, rich white people from the mainline Philadelphia, you're, like, the cool black people at the core of the hip-hop movement. Yeah. And yeah. so I think that's, like, a like a lot of, like, where the romance or the impetus for the romance, why they want us to buy into it. That's what yeah. it stems from. That's, but yeah. I guess my question is, do you buy into it, Nissan? Yeah, I, I get it. I see why those two people, like – like each other and like you know are drawn to each other they're clearly like a a real source of support for the other person so i buy it i buy like they're like you know i think they're they're i think if they were millennials like if they were like our age it'd be like hipsters right they'd be like hipsters that lived in like the black hipsters who live in bed-stuy okay yeah 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 i know it's not the same (laughs) as the williamsburg hipsters i get it because you know you are a black hipster that lived in best I understand I'm it. These are your. I understand I these are your. Anything. I said these are your people. This is your I kind. I get it. I'm not insulting them. I'm just saying. It basically they're like they're basically like the early 2000 version of what's their face from of Marcus and from what from Love Life. Of Marcus I, and Mia. Of Marcus and Mia is what I sort of feel like. Except like Marcus and Mia aren't as you know like they're not like hip hop is not their like center. Yeah, you know, but like, and they didn't come from the boogie down Bronx. Like, yeah, like all of that, but like, but that sort of like friends couple energy. Yeah. you know what I mean. And similar to like, I think we talked about this like plus one last week or the last episode two weeks ago, where people were talking, where it was like they want the person they want to spend the like hang out with all the time. And so that yes. same sort of concept of like friendship being a real sort of key part of love. It's not about sort of like necessarily sexual chemistry. Like everything else sort of comes in time. It's a lot to me, it seems a lot more to talk about their compatibility and then maybe their chemistry falls into it eventually. And they seem to have chemistry, but I just, I just think it's very interesting. Cause I think for me, like I was talking to a friend about this over the weekend about like core parts of relationships or compatibility or chemistry. And a lot of times people will like sacrifice one for the other because they're ready to, you know, settle down mm-hmm. or be partnered. But really Girl, I've, been com- I've been there. <laughs> Who has not? <laughs> Again, I really do we not want to incrimin- incriminate myself. I really don't want to incriminate myself, but, um, <laughs> But, but really a winning combination is chemistry and compatibility. And mm-hmm. I think what's interesting is that this seems to be leading with compatibility as a key part of their love story, yeah. sort of the underpinning. But the chemistry is there. So they sort of have, they're building up to it. So I, I thought that was interesting. Yeah, but I buy true. that they're together. I buy that they're together now. Well, so. not just buy, but are you rooting for them? No. Rooting for like. them? Am I rooting you, for you're rooting. You were rooting for Kelby, it sounds like. I like Kelby. No, I, I listen. Like, am I like, am I going to bring out a flag and like wave it for Sydney and Dre? No, but I think that their love story is something that really, I, I, I see why it's a big part of, or why, like, if you, if we can talk about black rom-com canon as, as I can see why this is like, I wish this got a bit more attention than it does. I think this one just sort of slips a little bit, a bit more under the radar, but I, mm-hmm. I root for them. I like them. You know, it's sort of how I felt about, well, no, I feel better about these people than I feel about Marcus and Mia, but um, yeah, because <laughs> <laughs> okay. you know I feel about Marcus and Mia. <laughs> All right. Um. We talked about the um, the movie, but girl, this this is a movie about hip hop oh, and how God. the first time we encountered hip hop. And so I think we should actually, I think this is a good time for us to reminisce. Misan, when did you first fall in love with hip hop? Oh, that's a good question. <laughs> 
I should have prepared for this. I know. This is me just off the. This is her riffing. She's just like off the dome. (laughs) I'm just glad she didn't ask us to rap because I would just hang up. Um, I'm gonna. I'm gonna. Oh no, that's the next question. You're gonna have to rap your favorite verse. I'm not gonna do that. Yes. Yeah, I'm not going to do it. I'm just, it's just going to be silence. I'm not going to do that. Um, I, it's interesting. So I first moved to America in the nineties. Right. And I think a lot of what I loved about hip hop was because of my dad who was Mm. really into it. And so there was a time we lived in like, um, Northern California and that was like the height of like, you know, sort of East coast, West coast rap and sort of all those battles. And I really like my dad was really into Tupac. Like he really enjoyed Tupac. That's so interesting. I really so I really got into Tupac. So my love for hip hop was because of Tupac Shakur. Um, like all of those. <laughs> can can sounds, I laugh? Go ahead. And laugh. I am a biggie person. You and I of are always course! gonna be. A, you and I are We're always, always gonna, gonna be on opposite. <laughs> oh my god, this is so ridiculous! I can't believe this. Oh god. Continue with your story, but I just had to get that in. <laughs> I really can't believe this. I really can't. Like, we're learning what are the this odds? about each other right now. Like, we're guys. learning about each other on this podcast. Like, we already knew about their difference in love interests, <laughs> but this is outrageous. <laughs> um, but yeah, so it was like Tupac. Like, I just remember like listening to the CDs in the car with my dad and really getting into it, talking about the lyrics. And at this end, because we were in California, so people were like, oh, Biggie's the better lyricist. And my dad would be like, that's BS. He's not. And so we like really like. Let's sidebar. Oh, yeah. You guys. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, but so the, but that was so that was a big thing. So that was huge. And I remember another interesting story is that this is around the time of MC Hammer, right? Mm-hmm. MC Hammer and people sort of like mocked MC Hammer for not being yeah. authentic enough, which is interesting because he was the most gangster out of all of them. I know, dude. Like he MC was, Hammer would like try to get people you taken up, out. And, he, and they would listen <laughs> and they would get taken out. Like. <laughs> Not to be messed with, honestly. But I also love, like, I love, I, it's interesting. I, I like, Tupac to me was like maybe authentic hip hop, but then there was also sort of like the, like the more pop version of it, like the more you sort of like popular version with MC Hammer, which is like Hammer Time and, you know, yeah. all that sort of stuff, you know, too legit to quit. Oh my God, mm-hmm. I love those songs. Actually, we actually met, my family and I met MC Hammer at a hair salon in the 90s in Oakland and we got his autograph. We got, that's a story for another day. But I, I know, I know. But it just was like, but I say this to say that we were really like, at that time, it still, hip hop still felt so fresh and it was almost yeah. like, there was almost like, like a democratization of it, I guess, in a way, in the sense that like you could like, anyone could sort of get into it, but not like get into like anyone could rap, but like it felt like these people were around that you could run into and you learn more about them and mm-hmm. you sort of, you felt closer to them because you could be like, in Oakland and in the Bay Area, like around the things that they were rapping about, the landmarks that they cared about, really like. And at the time, New York felt so far away. It was away. local. That's the it was thing. very it was local. Like very yeah, local. it was very local. So that local piece, I think, really helped us fall in love with it. My dad, my mom was into it. My cousins that lived with us at the time, my brother hadn't been born yet. Um, so all of it that was that that was really key. And it took, and New York felt so far away. Felt like mm. like another galaxy or planet. The East Coast just felt like another world. Uh, so that was so that's how I fell in love with hip hop. That's yeah. Okay, so I'm coming at you from the East Coast. That's right. <laughs> like, that's right. <laughs> uh, that's so fascinating. That that's very interesting. We have, um, I think like for me, I don't even know when I first fell in love with hip hop. In that, it, like, I have brothers who are quite a bit older than me. Like, yeah, the oldest is like eight years older than me. 
And so they were listening to rap like when I was like a really little kid. So it was just yeah. always around. And like my brothers would get really into like, you know, the Wu-Tang Clan, the Fugees. At the time, like Black Sheep was like, you know, Mob Deep, uh, yeah. uh, Onyx, like all these rappers. They were just always around. My brothers had these CDs. And so I remember like get like just rap was everywhere. And then mm-hmm. but I it's interesting because I it was also really big even in the suburbs of Florida, like white kids were listening to it. Right. Um, And so there was like a facet of rap that I was like listening on because I I watched MTV and BET in the box like way too young. Right. And so (laughs) I like I remember the day that California love came out. Like I remember it. it was like these are vivid memories. But I think for me, when I really fell in love with hip hop is I would go to um, spend summers in New York visiting family mm. and I had cousins in Mount Vernon which oh. is like the, you know Mount yeah, Vernon like yeah, literally like Foxy Brown went to my cousin's high school you know that uh P. Diddy like he's he went to um high school and like spent like the, his older childhood in he Mount was Vernon. Puff Daddy at the time and I know was Puff, which <laughs> yeah, is a better Puff. name than Diddy and Honestly. so that was like part of it. And then the Bronx, like, so I would like yeah. split my time between it. And I mean, to describe the way that like, and this is me talking as an outsider, but that hip hop was like in the air that people breathed and those mm. like in the, in the Bronx. And like, mm. I remember like going to like the record store with my cousins and just getting these singles. I remember, and it's like, I remember when only you by one twelve came out and then that biggie uh, verse, which is like, Jesus, notorious, God. just please us with your lyrical thesis. Like, I just remember yeah, these like yeah. on this like deep level. And I think it's like when I was like, really introduced to that deep cultural level of hip hop, like kind of mm-hmm. what you were talking about with Oakland, right? Like, yeah. cause we didn't experience it in Florida. We didn't have a lot of local rappers in the Tampa Bay area. We At like kind of pick, you know, we, <laughs> picked like a little from atlanta i think atlanta was kind of like yeah our, like closest. atlanta was this, this like the the mecca of rap for the south for sure. yeah yeah but like it's time. it was yeah. it's very different from like when you are like at these places that these rappers would like frequent or like yeah. everybody around you felt like these were like hometown people where like hip-hop was just playing on the streets and like yeah. everybody knew ev- all the albums i just i think that feeling has never left me and so even mm where I have a little bit of some qualms, like looking back on a lot of the hip hop of that time, like the strong misogyny, like there's so much like the sexual violence. There's so much there. That's really, I I, kind of have to feel nuanced because I mean, I condemn it, but like some of that music, like, and I respect Tupac, but like I will still listen to Ready to Die, and yeah. the, the it's just like it's a, it's like a it's a, if you were watching like Yo Yo Ma play the cello, it's like a virtuoso. Like he is just doing all that, like yeah, his storytelling, no, like, playing yeah. different characters. Like, yeah. and I I have such a deep appreciation for that, and I think because of that, like. I, but I also loved like pop hip hop like that's what I I wasn't like the person who bought all the albums and knew every Jay Z yeah. verse no yeah. but I think that when I got to college I started getting a little more hipstery and I like was like a DJ um, and so I started getting really into underground hip hop yeah and so that's why this movie resonates with me because this is like where you're seeing like the Talib Kweli's and most stuff at the time it wasn't particularly mainstream and they even yeah. have like Black Alicious on their soundtrack and so it was like a very good sort of introduction or like nod to that world of hip-hop which I also deeply loved now I don't even really listen to hip-hop that much anymore because really well, like I'll listen like in the club or whatever, but like or like I like and You're I like so Florida. I can't believe you picked <laughs> up like that. <laughs> 
I, don't, I just like, like I. So is it really too late to rescue you from Florida? Like I think you're getting really far gone. I'm not sure what to yeah. do. And you might yeah, need to save an intervention. Yeah, like I feel like the end of like my oh I listen to rap all the time was like law school. You know, like yeah. those songs were like the jams. And then at some point, like I just don't know what the kids are listening to anymore. I don't get a lot of it. I'm just and I'm I'm an old lady. Just like I'll put on the score and then just like have my tea and <laughs> like See, I, had I still listen to rap. <laughs> I still listen to rap quite a bit. Um, but it's like not. I don't think it's as much as the frenzy that it was before, like, you know, but I like, you know, I, I'm not going to, I'm not going to be a 55 year old woman on this podcast, Nana, and talk about being old. But I mm. do think that, um, I think there's something about youth when you listen that sort of really mm-hmm. sticks with you about what sort of music resonates with you. And there's just all these memories that are there that I think something about it being so transformative is like, there's sort of all that possibility that you have when you're younger. And it's harder to do that when you have like, bills and all this other stuff so you listen but I just it doesn't resonate with me the same way it used to but there are still songs that I love but I just it just doesn't (laughs) it's just it's it's also yeah it's also not as good um but I also think music in general is not as good as it used to be yeah and I know that's sort of like an old like an old man yelling at clouds saying like get off my lawn type of thing but I do think that the level of difficulty musicality and musicality but the level of difficulty actually be an artist to like train and the barrier to entry is so yeah. much lower now that so that level of musicality doesn't isn't necessarily need to be there for someone to sort of have like a hit and so that's yeah. sort of why i think you see a little a difference in sort of the levels of even with r&b like people that are yeah singing. totally that's why you see that different level there which is a shame because there's a lot there is a lot of quality I think that we're missing out on because of how easy it's almost like these, they're like microwave artists. You put them in and then Mm -hmm. they're okay. But microwave food is never as good as the original when you cook it. Right. So that's how I feel about music. now. Yeah. I know that the last piece of my rant is just like, if you ever get a chance to watch like the hip hop documentaries, like on Netflix and stuff, I mean, the, even though people were like, these guys don't play instruments, like these guys, like especially the DJs, but the rappers too, were listening to jazz. They were listening to funk. They were listening to soul. That's why they, they have all these bebop. amazing samples. Yeah. So like, they have the amazing. To, yeah. To create real. Like, like they really knew and appreciated music across yeah. genres. And yeah. like even, sorry, the last thing about Biggie, which it's a Biggie appreciation hour basically, is I that. He's fine. <laughs> no, it is. He like I saw this documentary about Biggie where his like he used to like was mentored by this like old jazz musician who lived in his neighborhood mm-hmm. and he would just listen to the jazz records. And that guy was talking about how like Biggie's like if you actually follow the way he raps, it follows like jazz syncopation patterns. Oh, that's so like, interesting. Da, 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 I can believe that. I can see that. I can see that. But these are like the people we're dealing with. And now you got a lot of kids on SoundCloud. They're like, oh, yeah, scissor. Yeah, dear Turk. Okay. No <laughs> like- First of all, you just dated yourself. No <laughs> it's not like it's not George W. Bush is lead, no longer president. Lead, lead. Yeah, I don't please. know. Talking about scissor like it's 2005. Get out of my face. Like, oh, gosh darn it. <laughs> Listen, I, I mean, I can't freestyle, so I, I, I dated myself. I know, but totally, totally dated yourself, but it's okay. All I, I, I will end this with saying. Um, there's this Tupac song or there's this part, like what I, I think what I liked about Tupac was just like this, like, and this is what got him in trouble, but yeah. this like, like sort of insane energy, like mm-hmm. energy to do all sorts and to rally. Like, I think there was just that level there that I, I, I was always very sort of like attracted to. Um, and I will never forget that horrible line 
that's why I fucked your bitch, you fat motherfucker. Oh, God, I, I hate it. I will never forget it. <laughs> I, I will never forget no, it. No. It stays with me all the I freaking time. And you know oh what's even God, worse? I have so a friend, bad. one of my best friends in the world. She does this thing on her birthday where she'll rap that song with her sister as she's cutting the cake. And I remember the first time she did it, I was like, what's happening? I know. <laughs> but dude. now it stays with me because that song, no. it's like so raw. Like, I it think is. what's so interesting about it is that it's just that that level of um, rage and feeling that just captured. I mean, the lines are horrible. But the like, lines just- are horrible. And just, I want to make sure, hashtag justice for Faith Evans because she did not deserve that. Nothing no, happened didn't. there. She they made her it. the little toy in their battle. It was Yeah, which is classic misogyny <laughs> from, from <laughs> like, honestly, constantly, constantly, constantly. But I just think that there's something about that like of, of that song of like hit him it up it starts I, that way right it starts like it just start you're like what the have you seen that tiktok video no i need to send it to you there's this tiktok video of this woman this black uh this like black woman that's saying that she's a background singer on hit him up style oh, <laughs> or uh, not hit him up style hit him up style yeah, is hit Bucantrell. him up my friend will kill me because i've done that before when i call yeah. it hit him up style hit him up style is Bucantrell. hit him up is tupac yeah. but there's i'm gonna find this send it to you it's the most amazing thing because it's her just doing the hook, like, get money. And then he keeps getting more and more intense. And she's like, she's like freaking out. She's like, oh, not the mama. Because he has a lie, too. He's like, oh, because he's talking about um, Prodigy. And yeah. he's like, don't, don't, don't that, like, basically, I'm not going to go into the words. But he's sickle like, cell. He sickle cell. Sickle cell. He talks like, about, oh. I'm like, first of all, sickle cell is a thing that has really impacted black communities. Yes, That's not exactly. right. It's How not. dare you? But I don't know. There was something about that level of rage capture, which is part of what got in trouble. But there's something just like so arresting about that level of rage that I captured on a track like that. I don't think I'd ever heard anything like that before. I remember the first time, like, not that I was supposed to hear it, but I'd never heard anything like that before. I didn't, I was like, I didn't even know you could do this on it. Like, is he allowed to do that? Yeah. I think at the time there's this sort of just level of like no boundaries, untethered. And there's something about that like level of like that part of authenticity, right? Like there, these are like, we're just trying things. And now they're all these sort of like more appropriate level. Like when people are doing like rap battles or there's like rap beef, like there's some lines that people don't cross, although don't tell that to push a T. But like, mm-hmm. there's just something very interesting about that. Like no holds bars. Like, no, like we're really getting after each other, but we're not going to do it. Well, they did do it in person, but we're going to do it on the track and really go for it. And there's something that, I, I I never got that same feeling with any other genre of music, so. Yeah. Okay, so this romance podcast has turned into a, a <laughs> very, very novice amateur <laughs> podcast. I think we told you guys before, if we haven't, but Nan and I contain multitudes. So we will yeah. talk about all sorts of things. We will talk about sports. We will talk about hip hop. We might talk about something. I might talk about Midsummer Murders next week. You don't know. You don't know. I can talk about What's all Midsummer sorts of things. Murders. Oh my god, it's just incredible, incredible, like very entertaining. Is it what, it's like British, British yeah, murder, yeah, like murder show, like murder show. It's so good. It's like their Law and Order. Um, uh, every someone's always dying in small town Midsummer. It's incredible, and they die in such inventive ways. Someone died by cheese wheel. Nana, okay, it. You'll, it's like yeah. it's your thing. You'll love it. <laughs> anyway, those are a bunch of tangents, but. Should we talk about our HEAs? Yeah. I I think this is going to be real short this time. I'll go first because mine is very short. Okay. Um, 
I have been reading quite a bit of Bridgerton, but we spent a lot of time talking about Bridgerton, so I won't get into those. But just say which uh, book you like so far of the ones you've read, though. I want to know. Okay. So It's In His Kiss was very good. That's the one with... Um, Hyacinth? Fran- Hyacinth, no. yes. Is that the way? Which one is in his? That's in his case is Hyacinth. And ah, yes, I'm reading that one right now again. Yes, yes, then, yes, yes. I love that and one. And then when was is it when he was wicked? When he was wicked with uh, I Francesca. Fran- Francesca is very good. Yeah. And then I also I haven't read them yet, but I got the Viscount and I. And or the Vi- the Duke and the, I, the, but no, the no, Viscount the, who loved Viscount, me, the Viscount who loved me. I got that one, and then I have another one. It's something about an offer. It's the one an with, offer um, from a gentleman. Yeah, yeah an that's offer Benedict from the gentleman. That's Benedict. Okay, nice. Okay, I'm glad you liked it's in his kiss though, and when he was yeah, like, I, I very loved good. it's in his kiss. So good. Um, again, this is the thing that they need to understand, and and by they I mean sexual partners nipple play again julia quid <laughs> okay we've talked about your nipple play fetish <laughs> i know and every, it's like, it's every so crazy. podcast episode we somehow <laughs> talk about nipple play i know it, it's super quick julia quinn gets it because girl she, she gets it so she that's does. just a little plug play. i'm adding um, oh the plug for nipple play but she doesn't but i feel like romance <laughs> novel like i think historical romance Novel authors get nipple play do, in a way that contemporary romance novel You're authors totally do not. You're totally right because I've contempt that. wants to go straight for the clit, but like yeah. I feel like. But the- there are steps. <laughs> there are steps. <laughs> like I'm gonna go straight anyway. That's that's another <laughs> episode. <laughs> um, so I don't want to waste too much time with another HEA, but I'll just say very quickly, uh, I. Uh, some weeks ago I watched the second season of the Amazon show Upload I would really recommend it it's basically about it's kind of a sci-fi but kind of kooky it's like the guy who did The Office Greg Daniels Mm -hmm. so it's like it has kind of a light tone but it's about like imagining a future where people can upload consciousness and of course like consciousness is reserved for like rich people so like rich people can like upload consciousness and like live at a resort poor people like only have two gigs and are like stuck in a basement and can barely do anything right so Mm. it gets into that but like there's a central love story in that a guy who has been uploaded falls in love with this woman who is like essentially like the the call center person like the person who's in charge of like they call them concierges, I think, who's yeah. in charge of making the experience good for the, the people who have uploaded. Yeah. And so, like, a clearly, like, especially because, like, and I won't get into spoilers, but jet, a lot of people who are uploaded are dead, right? And so yeah. you can't have relationships with them, really. But yeah. they, against all odds, like, fall in love with each other. Uh, and it's really, really? sweet. I didn't know there was, like, a sweet love yeah, story there's, in there. Because really I, sweet... I couldn't tell that from the trailer when yeah. I saw the first season trailer. And okay, it's, I'll, I'll the, check it out. The first season is very concentrated on their, like, forbidden love story and the second season is kind of like you know exploring their love a little more um and so i won't give too much away because a lot of people probably haven't seen it yet but it's really cute all right all right upload amazon prime okay i'll watch that okay so heas i'll just do one um i hold on sorry the baby is like stuck i think he just wants to remind everybody that he is in charge not anybody else in the house so, that is which it. I respect that. I like someone like that likes to lay down the law like that, you know, just to make it clear. <laughs> I respect that. Okay. <laughs> I think he stopped. So go. Okay. So my HEA is a YA novel. Again, I think I'm on a YA kick. I read this a few weeks back, but it's really speaking to me uh, still. Um, it's called Counting Down With You by okay. Tashi uh, Buian. Uh, I think is how you say your last name. Hopefully I didn't butcher it. But basically it's about like, it has a bunch of tropes, but it's about this like, Bangladeshi American teenager who somehow ends up like 
fake dating the school's like resident hottie who's a bad boy. Mm. Um, I love fake dating. You love yeah, fake dating. Yeah, I know. Fake dating is one of our favorite tropes in a romance. And it's just, I what I really liked about it is just how it talks about a particular culture. And like, I don't think I've ever read a book about a Bangladeshi uh, teenager. And it talks yeah. about someone like being in like, you know, in America and dealing like with like general American teenager things, but having very like strict parents that mm-hmm. uh, she's the older, she's the oldest. So it's, um, she has a younger brother. Um, and she has very strict parents that are very, very difficult with her and hard on her as an older sibling with a younger brother. Yeah. That was very, like, it was just, I, I thought it did a good job of like really getting into who she was as a person. And then this love story with, so the teenager's name, her name is Karina Ahmed and her fake boyfriend is this guy, Ace Clyde. And it's just like, it was just a very cute love story and it, it got deep and emotional way, sort of like relationships and learning how to be an adult um when you know your parents have one vision of what they want for you but you want something else but you're so afraid to tell them different because you think they will not won't love you anymore and it just really gets into it it's like it's beautiful (laughs) and the love story is so cute because it's my favorite type of story where the guy's like super obsessed with this like nerd maybe because you know who wouldn't want that love story but like this guy is like this like bad boy hottie um Mm who's like obsessed with this like nerdy girl. Love it. Can you think of why that might appeal to me? Uh, (laughs) No clue. No, no idea. (laughs) I swear it's either if you give me a resident bad boy hottie or a soft jock hottie, like what's his name? Um, Peter. Peter. Yeah. Peter Kavinsky from, um, you know, what's what's, all the boys boys I loved before sold. So I'm sold. It's great. So check it out. Counting down with you by Tasha Buyan. Um, I think you guys will like it. And yeah, Yay. that's my HEA. Yes. And one thing, I'll just make a small note because we mentioned Peter Kavinsky. There is a movie called Moonshot on HBO Max that's a romance movie. Don't oh, add yeah. us. I don't think it's that good, so I don't really want to talk about it. But yeah. I just have to acknowledge its existence because they. <laughs> <laughs> Did you watch it? Yeah, it was mm, the trailer. The trailer it. told me that I wouldn't like it, so I'm I'm glad one of us took the plunge and it wasn't me. <laughs> yeah. Okay. All right. So well, that's the episode. Until next time, guys. Yay! Bye. Bye. <laughs> okay. <laughs>